There are many ways to celebrate Christmas. The songs, the decorations, the lights, and the trees. But sooner or later, the lights come down, the wrapping paper is tossed out, and the toys get broken. If Christmas isn't about Christ, you're missing everything. There is a light in the darkness. His name is Jesus, the light of the world. That light is a treasure of Christmas. Don't miss the true gift that never fades. Jesus, the light has come. So welcome to Calvary. We are on week number two of our Advent series, The Light Has Come. For all those who believe the true story of Christmas, every Christmas light we see this season is a reminder that no matter how dark the world is, in the end, light wins. Babette Buster, a woman who has helped to shape some of the great stories told through movies, says that every great story is the tale of a person coming fully alive or a cautionary tale of someone who lives life as the walking dead. And isn't that one of the reasons why we love Christmas? We, we love the Christmas stories about people coming fully alive, good endings, restoration of peace and the Christmas spirit, even the Hallmark movies, good endings, darkness being overcome by light. I mean, set aside movies like Violent Night, Bad Santa, and The Nightmare Before Christmas, and you have mostly good endings. When the Grinch stole Christmas, he gave it back. Ralphie gets the BB gun in the Christmas story. Scrooge gets transformed in Home Alone. Kevin's family makes it home for Christmas. Buddy the Elf writes a bestseller, marries Jovi, and brings their infant daughter to visit Papa Elf. And, of course, John gets Holly, and Hans gets a fall from Nakatomi Plaza in the greatest Christmas movie of all, Die Hard. The Christmas season is all about redemptive endings where darkness flees and light wins. The Christmas light. Remember the words of the prophet Isaiah. We read them last week and he writes them during a time of great darkness, politically, religiously, economically, personally. And as he writes, he looks forward to the time of Christ when the darkness was just as dark as a cloudy night. And he said, In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Let me tell you something. Our world was made for light. In fact, specifically, our world was made for the light of Christ, the light which brings life. The light of Christ is the light of the owner of the world, the creator of the world. And and when this light shines, man, it makes everything good in the world shine with this wondrously amazing beauty. And one day, all the heavens and all the earth will be filled with light, filled with glory like the waters cover the sea. There, There is darkness now, but it will not always be. In the end, light wins. And that's what the Apostle John tells us in his Christmas story. In John chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, he says, the word gave life to everything that was created, and and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Our world was made for light. It was created by the life of the light giver himself. And, And listen, there is no other light that brings life. And darkness has no power over it. In a Christianity Today article, Heath Adamson shares a story of his deliverance from the darkness of the occult and addiction. Even as a child, the spiritual world was very real to him because of his involvement with the occult. Heath remembers watching a chair slide across the floor and a 
candle floating off a coffee table. His experiences with supernatural stuff started him on what became an all-consuming quest for answers. In, in the eighth grade, eighth grade, a female classmate sensed in her heart that God was whispering Heath's name to her. The whisper said something to the effect of, pray for him. You're going to marry him one day. They struck up a relationship, but when that year, their eighth grade year ended, they went their separate ways. She attended church while Heath had regular encounters with the demonic realm, became addicted to drugs, and, and ultimately at some point he just he kind of looked like a human skeleton, and he was living his life in quiet desperation. But then sometime his junior year of high school, he asked his physics partner about religion, and, and he got invited to church. He actually went, and, and one Sunday night after going to church, he lay in his bedroom thinking about who God was and what was true about life and reality in the world. And as he lay there thinking, he said he felt like, like God himself came into his room, and, and he ended up saying out loud, Jesus, you are who you say you are. Deep inside at that moment, he knew that Jesus loved him the way he was. God's presence that night was so real, he said, I, I could almost feel God breathing on my face. The, the next day, he told his physics partner that he wanted to go back to church. He said, you know, remember when the pastor, last time I was there, the pastor asked if people wanted to ask Jesus to forgive them? Well, I think I, think I need to do that. They went the next Sunday, and at the end of the gathering, a pastor said a prayer and shared the gospel, and Heath said, I, I was the only one who responded, but that night when I embraced the grace of Jesus, my body was supernaturally, instantaneously healed, and, and my addictions vanished. So he found the light. He found the light in the darkness, and the light brought him life. His story was redeemed. I, I love that ending. It's like Jesus described in John chapter 8, verse 12, when he said, it says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. You won't have to walk in darkness. You will not have to walk in darkness. He's speaking to you and me, not just teeth, not just first century Jews, us. You don't have to walk in darkness, and there is a light that leads to life. And if we follow him, that's what Jesus said, if we follow him, we'll, we'll have it. We'll have the light. And you know what? Others so desperately need it. People like Keith. <laughs> the ending of his story, he said the very next day, the very next day after his miraculous encounter with Christ, he said, I discovered something incredible in the mailbox. Inside was a handwritten letter from the girl who dared to listen in eighth grade when God touched her heart. It just happened to land in the mailbox the day after I met with God, he said. After I married that amazing girl, he said, I found her prayer journals, and that's when I discovered how God used her prayers and the prayers of others, prayers often whispered when nobody was watching to help soften my hardened heart. Looking back at my salvation, he said, I'm the product of three things. A girl who dared to believe the whisper of God, an invitation to church, and the power of of prayer. Listen, we, we can do all three of those things, right? Dare to believe on behalf of somebody else, pray for others, and, and invite them into the life of Jesus, into our homes, into our church. What, what Heath found was that when Jesus stepped into his darkness, instead of turning away in disgust in Heath's words, Jesus showed me who he was and who I was created to be. And who are we created to be? What are we created to do? We are bearers of the light, bringers of the light. We're called to shine like front yard Christmas lights.
not blow-up Santas, not seasonal decorations, light. This metaphor of light has been in the heart of God since the very beginning. Last week, we looked at Isaiah chapter 9. Listen to his words now in Isaiah chapter 58, verses 8 through 12. The prophet Isaiah says, Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you'll call, and the Lord will answer. You'll cry for help, and he'll say, Here I am. If you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness. The Lord will guide you. He will satisfy. He'll satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. And we have some, we have some ruins in our communities, in our neighborhoods that need to be rebuilt, right? Families, marriages, hearts. I'll be honest, most of the ruins today in our community, in our country, in our culture, the the ruins that need to be rebuilt are in here, not not out there. We we have some dry places that could use a well-watered garden, but it begins with light. I mean, what every neighborhood, every city, every workplace and, and, and school, every campus needs is for light to break forth like the dawn. We need light to rise up in the darkness. We need people who found healing for their brokenness, people of God's glory watching their backsides. Every neighborhood needs, needs people who can get God's attention, right, whose lives are like well-watered gardens. Listen, our neighbors don't need our perfection. That's not the light they need. I've been thinking about this. How some of us, I think we need to be, we think we need to be perfect. Like we need to be lit up in order to shine. When in reality, I wonder maybe we, we still need to be broken. Maybe the light of the Spirit of God in us is best seen in the cracks of our own brokenness. I mean, what if, what if the true light comes when I drop the mask and let go of the last remnants of my need to impress you, impress my neighbors? When, when we embrace our brokenness and love our neighbors, we shine. Because it's, it's not about us. Ultimately, it's not about us. Loving our neighbors is not about impressing our neighbors. That's not the light they need. Loving my neighbor gets all kinds of hard and awkward when I forget that it's really not about me. When the true light shines out of our life, you know what? People forget me, they forget us, and they start getting amazed by Jesus. That's the hope they need. And they can't actually find the hope they need if I'm trying to impress them with my spiritual perfections. They need the hope that shines through when we uncover our brokenness. So don't hide your brokenness. It's the cracks in our lives that reveal the light. <laughs> Some of us are thinking, yeah, but you don't know my brokenness. My brokenness goes so deep, it's, it's snuffed out the light. It, it can't. I, I mean, I understand how that feels, but Isaiah says that there are seasons and there are chapters when healing can come quickly. There, there are seasons when God responds to your cry for help even before you call. There are seasons when God not only goes before you, he watches your back. And I, and I believe with all my heart, I do. I, I believe we're coming into one of those seasons, one of those seasons where the broken will be those who rebuild the ancient ruins. I believe we're coming into a season when the hopeless will become the rebuilders of broken hearts. Coming into a a new dawn, a new day, when we'll see what light truly does to the darkness. I I believe it's coming because there, 
There are growing numbers of people who are getting passionate about getting God's attention. In the midst of the darkness, before this season comes in full, we, we desperately need to become the kind of people who get God's attention. Our front yards, our neighborhoods desperately need somebody who has God's attention. I mean, don't miss this. Isaiah's words in Isaiah 58, they're spoken to broken people. Isaiah is talking to people who live in captivity. They exist in the margins of society. They're, they're hopeless, helpless, and homeless. They're broken. But when God shows up, it's good news for the broken. And this is what Isaiah describes in chapter 58, a life beyond imagination that comes because we've gotten God's attention and he shows up to show off his goodness. Let me ask you, do you think we have God's attention today? Do you have God's attention in your workplace, on your campus, in your neighborhood? See, those good news words from Isaiah, they described a conditional promise, not a present reality. And, and the problem was the people could not get God's attention. Have you ever had trouble getting somebody's attention? Maybe you're married or you have kids and they got Instagram and Snapchat and Netflix and video games and all sorts of distraction addictions to take our minds off of our brokenness. But it's, it's hard. In the midst of our life today, it's hard to pay attention. How about God? Do you ever feel like God wasn't paying attention to you? I mean, it seems kind of important, right? In the midst of all that's going on in our world today, if we can't get God's attention, what hope do we have? That's one of my heart prayers. God, don't, don't pass us by. Don't, don't do all that you're doing everywhere else and, and not here. Don't pass us by. Pay attention. God, would you please pay attention to what's happening here? In Isaiah 58, the people were trying to get God's attention. You, you read the whole, the whole chapter later. They were blowing the trumpet and calling sacred assemblies and seeking God daily, listening to good teaching, going to church, singing worship songs. Man, these were very religious people doing all the church stuff they could think of to get God's attention. But for all the stuff they were doing, God was not paying attention. And so now they're praying. And Isaiah 58, they're basically saying, God, what's up? And God basically said, quit being religious and start being good. Loosen the chains of injustice. Break, break the yokes of oppression. Share your food with the hungry. Give hospitality to those in need, not just those in need of food, but those in need of relationship, of, of community. In other words, when your front yard mission, when your FYM is a light in the darkness, your life will get the attention of God. That's what it says in Isaiah 58. When you love your neighbor, when you do good for your neighbors, you are the light of the world. See, here's the principle I just don't think God will listen to my prayers on Sunday if I don't love my neighbor on Monday. I mean, Sunday is, is halftime. It's not the game. Sunday is a meeting. Monday is mission. And, and if we're not going to be on mission, then God says, why, why should I listen? Because it's like you want all-in benefits with a casual commitment. See, here, here's the question. And I, and I want you to know... I. I love weekend worship. I love to preach to a crowd. The bigger it is, the more I love it. I love to sing as loud as I want and know that it doesn't bother most anybody. I know we have, I hope we have a thousand of your neighbors at Christmas Eve services all over Central PA. But, but here's the question. Does it matter where we shine on Sunday if we don't love our neighbors on Monday? 
Uh, there's a verse in John's gospel in chapter 16. It's Jesus speaking, grown-up Jesus, not Christmas Jesus. And he says to his friends, a time is coming. In fact, it has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. Now, that was a different kind of scattering. But listen, this has happened before. God scatters us. He scatters his people to the broken margins of life. He doesn't just go to the marginalized. He changes the margins. He brings the margins of life to the very center of his attention. See, we want God to shift his attention to us. And God says, I want you to shift your presence to the people who already have my attention. I mean, if God's attention is in the margins of life, scatter yourself to the margins and be the world of the, the light of the world there. So this Christmas, let's scatter the light. This is the Christmas challenge given directly to us by the Christmas baby all grown up in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. He says, you are the light of the world. Jesus says to us, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds, let your good, the good things that you do in your neighborhood, let them shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Now, you know the context of what Jesus is saying here. We went over it in our Gritty Blessings series over and over again. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is beginning to experience amazing success. He's on fire, living large. He is a light, the most compelling light in the darkness that people have ever seen. Huge crowds of people were drawn to his light. People from all over the region, nothing could extinguish his light. And then in the first verse of chapter 5, we read, seeing the huge crowds, he took them his disciples up on the mountain to dive into their hearts. And in Matthew 5, it says, blessed, he said to them, blessed are those whose hearts are broken in humility for those is, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who, who can mourn, those who are gentle, who, who hunger for righteousness, who are merciful and pure in heart, who make peace and are willing to be persecuted for doing good. See, Jesus, Jesus was and is, has always been looking for hearts that would light up, hearts on fire. I and mean, if, if you're looking for light this Christmas that will put on a display in your neighborhood and plug your heart into Jesus, be an apprentice of Christ, I mean, that's why we're here. Have you ever asked yourself that question, why am I here? I mean, if, if heaven is so much better than here, why are we still here? If the best is yet to come, let's get on with it. Why are we still here? I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in his paraphrase of this passage in the message. He says, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. <laughs> if I make you light bears, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you on the hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. Be By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, our generous Father in heaven. Why am I here? What's my purpose? You're the light of the world. So shine. When you came in today, if you're at one of our gatherings, you got a candle. If not, and grab a candle afterwards. A candle can bring to mind so many different things, right? Birthdays and romance, a, a night at home when the power went out. 
For the next few weeks, every time you look at your candle, I want you to hear Jesus say seven words. You are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. I mean, look at somebody right now and just say that with me, like a little liturgy. In the darkest corner of life, you are the light of the world. When, when life seems out of control, you are the light of the world. When people all around are afraid and, and depression lurks in the invisible places and your neighbor just needs a friend, say it with me. You are the light of the world. That, that's why you're here. You're here to shine. You're here to be generous with your life, to do good deeds which shine the light on our Father in heaven. You're, you're here to show your neighbor the heart of Jesus. Shine. Light of the world. You are the light of the world. Your light is unique. You're going to shine differently for different people than I, than I do. But our purpose is the same. That, that's one of the things I love about Leadership Advance. We've been talking about that some lately in our gatherings. We, we all have the same mission, a common mission, a common purpose, a common calling, but we live it out in different ways. And, and at Leadership Advance, we dig into the uniqueness of how you light up the world, the ways God has shaped you to be a light. I've said it before, but I think Leadership Advance is one of the very best things we do at Calvary. But in a lot of ways, it has less to do with what we do and more to do with the fact that when we get serious about shining our light, God shows up. He shows us how. He, he shapes us for it. He does. And, and that's why we're here. That's why I'm here. That's why you're here. Why are we here? What's, what's our purpose? Why are we here together? <laughs> what's our purpose? Not just my purpose, but our purpose. We're, we're here together because together we light up our world. See, what you can't do alone, we can do together. In fact, we're meant to do it together, one candle lighting another. Your little candle lighting my little candle until together, it just, it's pretty amazing. In Baltimore County a couple of Christmases ago, in the midst of COVID, Kim Morton was home watching a movie with her daughter when she got a text from her neighbor, Matt Riggs. He, he lived across the street, not on the same side of the street, he lived across the street. And, and he texted her and just asked her to look outside. She looked outside. He'd, he'd hung a string of white Christmas lights across the road from his home to hers. Not, not side by side, across the road from his home to hers. And, and he also left a tin of homemade cookies on her doorstep. The lights, he said, were a reminder that they were connected. Riggs said, I was reaching out to Kim to brighten her world. He, he knew that she was facing a dark time. Kim had shared with him that she was dealing with depression and anxiety, grieving the loss of a loved one, and, and struggling with a lot of work-related stress, and, and all of it had led to a series of recent panic attacks. A bit of brightness was in order, he decided, but, but he never expected his one strand of Christmas lights to spark a neighborhood-wide movement. In the days to come, Riggs' light-hanging gesture would lead to neighbor after neighbor doing the same thing, stretching lines of Christmas lights from one side of the street to the other, from one end of the block to the other. Those neighbors empty out Home Depot. Kim said little by little, not just a block, the whole neighborhood started doing it. The lights became a physical sign of connection and community and love. The days that followed were pretty astounding, she said. There were neighbors with drills and ladders up on rooftops, tangled in trees, doing whatever they had to do to hang the lights, not just on their house, but from house to house. And for the first time in a while, this feeling of togetherness and light returned to their neighborhood. 
Kim said, it made me look up literally and figuratively. I looked up above all the things that were dragging me down. And she said this, it was, it was a light pushing back the darkness. Can't we do that? Can't we find ways to be lights pushing back the darkness? You know, this Christmas, this month, starting out the new year, I mean, look forward about three to four weeks and, and just ask yourself, if my life was summed up in the space of this Christmas season, how, how would I be remembered? Take the, the candle that you were given or later take one that you get. I want you to take it with you throughout these next few weeks. And, and right now, just look at it. A, a candle is, is so many different things. But during this next week, every time you look at your candle, I want you to hear Jesus say those words, you are the light of the world. I mean, what if in your neighbor's life, in the life of a friend, a classmate, or coworker, in the life of, of someone in your family, God might let you be the one to light the first candle that brings light into their life. Every time you see your candle this week, say to yourself, say it now, I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. So be different. In, in the darkness of a cancel culture, be the light of grace. In the darkness of sexual confusion and identity uncertainty, be the light of love. In the darkness of division, bitterness, and offense, be the light of reconciliation and forgiveness. In the darkness of self-centered consumerism, be the light of generosity. In the darkness of isolation and despair, bring the light of hope. Just ask yourself, if my whole life was summed up in the space of the next few weeks, how will I be remembered? I mean, imagine people in your neighborhood talking behind your back about how grateful they are that your family lives here because it seems like every time you come out of your house, something good happens in the neighborhood. Imagine regional leaders being genuinely thankful that Calvary is a part of the community because of the the good we do. Leaders of community service organizations getting together and realizing that everywhere they look, they keep running into Christians actively engaged in serving the community. Imagine your neighbors or coworkers, classmates, family and friends, the person in front of you, a giant, people all over the region, some in the past maybe skeptical or, or even hostile towards the church. Imagine all of them actually praising God because of the good deeds done in the name of Jesus. It's, it's not just a dream. Jesus said, you are. You are the light of the world, like a city on a mountain glowing in the night for all to see. This isn't just a, a Christmas deal. It's why we're here. In a recent book, Phil Cook and Jonathan Bach asked some significant questions like, why did the early church succeed where we seem to be failing? How did they transform the Western world in such a relatively short period of time? The answer that the authors come up with, they did it because they just, they they did things that baffled the Romans, (laughs) The early church did not picket, they did not boycott, they didn't gripe about what was going on in their culture. They they just did things that astonished the Romans. They took in the babies that were abandoned by the Romans. They, They helped their sick and wounded. They restored dignity to the slaves. They were willing to die for what they believed in. And and after a while, those actions, those baffling actions, so softened the hearts of the Romans that they wanted to know more about who these Christians were and who was the God they represented. They were a light. They were a light pushing back the darkness. Can we do that? I think we can. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you 
for the light of the world, the light that has come into the world. God, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you are the light of the world, that everywhere you go, you shine your light in the darkness, and the darkness cannot win. And God, it's an amazing thing. Not only did Jesus say, I am the light of the world, but he said to us, you are the light of the world. We are not the Prince of Peace. We are not the Savior of the world. We are not the mighty God. We are not Emmanuel, God with us, but we are the light of the world. And God, I pray that each and every one of us listening to this, God, that each of us would take seriously the call, the wondrous call to be light in the darkness. God, not just these next few weeks, but especially these next few weeks, would you help us to find ways to be a light in the darkness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.